Hopefully you found the notes uh, on your table. And yes, we're starting um, a new study. I have no idea how long it will take us. Uh, We're just going to take it uh, as the Spirit leads us and uh, as we can cover the content. And obviously from time to time we will slow down. I thought it was pretty funny. Susan sent me a text. She said, how far are you going to get past verse 1 today? (laughs) And I laughed and I said, well, actually, I need to get to verse 18. Um, And so um, the reason is um, we're going to look at the passage. We're going to study this book in, in context. Here's the deal. These first 18 verses basically make up the prologue to this book. It is John's introduction to a document that he's writing to a specific group of people for a specific reason. We need to understand those things so that when we read it, we understand what he's trying to say. Um, If we miss this, it will slant everything we're reading from this point forward. He's basically saying, this is the deal. This is what's going on. This is where I'm coming from. Um, and so um, it, is, it is just extremely important. I want to also tell you, as I start marching through this tonight, uh, I've got at least the last two pages here, the last page and a half, It's just nothing but notes uh, that I pretty much cut and pasted from at least two of the resources that I've been looking at. Uh, They're there for you to read uh, and go back and look at uh, at uh, with a little bit more detail. I will tell you that the last note, uh, the last detail in here on page four is from a book that I've read, and now I'm going back through it again And if you want a really, really good one-book resource to help you understand the book of John better, it would be this one. The guy's name is Eli Lazorkin Eisenberg. That's a mouthful, right? He was the dean of the online school from the uh, university in Jerusalem where I was taking Hebrew from online. Uh, so when I ran across this book a year or so ago and that he wrote it, uh, I immediately picked it up and bought it because I had uh, listened to a number of things that this guy uh, was teaching and some clips and some articles and stuff. And let me just say, he knows his stuff, knows what he's talking about. Um, and this book, uh, it's called... The Jewish Gospel of John, Discovering Jesus, King of All Israel. Um, Jewish Studies for Christians, all, all that is, it's the, the Jewish Gospel of John. <clears throat> uh, to let you know that uh, I would just highly recommend that you pick up the book. I think you can get a Kindle version of it, and it's not very expensive. But anyhow, uh, it would be a really good resource for you. We're not going to cover all that stuff. That's there for you to read. I'm going to try to march through this, um, these 18 verses And hopefully uh, the Holy Spirit will help me make some sense out of it. Amen? So I want to read these first five verses, and then we're going to look at some of these words and deal with some um, 
basic understanding of what's going on here so we can see uh, what he's really saying. <clears throat> so let's read uh, these first five verses. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with Elohim, and the Word was Elohim. He was in the beginning with Elohim. All came to be through Him, and without Him, not even one came to be that came to be. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's an amazing statement that he starts off with. And what I want you to pick up on here right from the start, and you should see this, where it sounds so familiar, doesn't it? It sounds like we're really reading the first few verses in the book of Genesis. Um, and I believe that that's exactly where John is coming from. But I want you to notice that he's actually going beyond that. In the book of Genesis, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and goes on you know, from there. Which, in the book of Genesis, it starts at the moment of creation. What John starts with is beyond that. And then includes creation. What he says was, in the beginning was the Word. Then he goes on and he says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, um, he's really stating here that what, what we already know is that the Word is Yeshua, cut to the chase on that, but it also encapsulates a lot more than that. But what we see is this idea of that he was with and he was. If you look down at the bottom of the page here, I've got some words here for us to look at. I'm just going to go ahead and jump to that one, which is this uh, delineation, if you will, between with and was. One, it says that the word of God or the word was with God. The Word is more than just speaking. It's more than just His essence. It is, if you will, the creative power of God, which we know that that is encapsulated in Yeshua because here it says that He basically created everything. So one thing it says that He's with God, which, is, which means it's separate from. It's not the same. He's with him. But then it also says, and he was God. What I want you to understand here is what we typically think as a Christian doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This idea of God manifesting himself as spirit and as a person, as a being, as God the creator of the universe as God that would show up and, let's say, things that we've studied, talk to Abraham and, and others, um, is not totally alien to ancient Jewish thought. This, if you will, plurality of God. Even the term Elohim, but we've covered that, which that's not really a name, it's more of a title of presence. Uh, but the interesting thing is that it's the same word used for God singular, even though it's plural. 
a real simplistic Christian understanding is, well, Elohim, that means it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit talking to each other. That's not what it means. But it does include a plurality of God. God's name is Yehovah, which means the, the simple English is I am that I am. But it's these verbs that really means I will be that which I will be when I want to be it. <laughs> He's saying I will be what I want to be when I want to be that. And basically everything else just going to have to deal with it. I don't have to be limited by your understanding of reality. He can be whatever he wants to be, however many times or ways that he wants to be that. And we've got to get, we've just got to let it go of trying to under trying to totally understand that. I hope that makes sense. So I've got up here at the top of the page uh, John 20, 31. Now, this verse that John gives us is closer to the end of the book. And what he says is, These things have been written so that you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of Elohim, and that believing you may possess life in His name. So we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep the end in mind as we start the beginning. John is telling us, Look, I have written all of this down for the purpose of evangelism. He's saying, I have written all of this down so that you will understand that Yeshua and Yeshua alone is the Messiah and eternal life is found in Him and believing on His name. So He's given us a hint that that's the end of the matter, that that's what He's after and that that's what He's written this for. Now here is where I want to share something with you that is... uh, even for me, I didn't realize it until I bought this book a few years ago, a year and a half, or I don't even remember now how long I've had it, that the book of John is seen by Christians and Jews alike, watch this, you're not going to believe this, but as an anti-Jewish book. It wasn't until I read his book to help me understand that it is anything but that. I mean, I never really thought that, but I want, I'm gonna, we're going to get to something here, and I'm going to show you how in translation, and when people translate the Bible, we've all got our bias. We've all got our filter. My filter is now different, but we all have our filters. And when you're trying to figure out what words to use, depending on your filter, you're choosing those words to try to help people understand what you think you understand. Make sense? I'm not saying anybody's even just intrinsically evil at doing some things, but in the King James Bible, they added one simple word on a verse that I'm, we have to get to, and it's in verse 17. But that one verse, that one word, and if you have a King James Bible, just go ahead and look there. For whatever reason, God's told me to go ahead and go there. It says that the Torah or the law was given through Moses, but law and grace came through Yeshua, Jesus Christ. That's what it says in the King James. That word, but, if you have a King James and you're looking at it, is in italics. There's a reason it's in italics. It's not in the original text. I got two hmm, out of that, right? It's not in the original text. 
but it's in your Bible in black and white. And how many of us read that with a real critical mind and we see something in italics and go, yeah, but don't, don't pay attention to that. You can't pay attention to that. It's like me saying big purple elephant. There's a big purple elephant. You picture a big purple elephant already? It's kind of hard to not picture a big purple elephant if I say big purple elephant. If you say the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, you can't not hear the word but. You can't not read the word but when it's on there in black and white. It's in ink on the page. It's not in the original text. But it is in this prologue to understand this whole book. It's setting the stage. It is dictating the trajectory you will travel when that is implanted in your brain. There was the law, but now there's grace. When we, those of you that are here, I think all of us pretty much, when we came to understand that the Torah is still applicable, how many of us simply struggled with, yeah, but law and grace? Right? And when you try to share this with somebody, they, yeah, but we don't live under the law anymore. We now live under grace. So the original King James Version was written when? 1611. 400 years. Over and over and over and over and over and over wasn't even just basically until basically my lifetime when you started having all these newer English versions, and a lot of them don't have that word but in there. doesn't matter. It's been out there long enough that it's in everything, and it's in our mindset. And if that's in your mindset, it's going to taint. It's kind of like it's hard not to read that verse without that but, that little italics word getting in your mindset. Um. <clears throat> So first of all, I want us to understand that this is not an anti-Jewish book. It is a very Jewish book. And as a matter of fact, in this book, what we're going to find is a connection between Yeshua and these leaders in Jerusalem. And there's a there are idioms and word choices that John uses that are clues to help us try to understand what he's dealing with. There's something else before I get too much into this and forget to mention a few things. It seems also that John's, um, by the words that he used, because he doesn't really tell us who he's writing it to. When you get a lot of the letters uh, in the New Testament, it says, this is John I'm writing to these people, or this is Peter writing to these people, or James writing to these people. Here, this is a more generalistic letter because it's written for evangelism, but it seems through the, the words that he's using, the terms that he uses in this text, that the people he's really targeting are Samaritans. I.e., watch this, the ten northern tribes. One of the reasons that Eli believes this, uh, Lazorik and Eisenberg, 
And I've read his stuff, and I'm like, man, it sounds absolutely solid. Um, is because not only the words that he's using, but he's, he, John is, seems to lean heavily on the prophecies of Ezekiel, Daniel, and Zechariah. You might want to jot some of this stuff down. I'm not even sure if some of that's in the notes that I gave you. <clears throat> but hopefully we're going to run into this stuff as we study the book that he's heavily dependent upon uh, Ezekiel, Zechariah, and Daniel. And what's amazing about those prophecies especially Zechariah and Ezekiel, those prophecies deal with what? The reunification of the two tribes, the two houses of Israel. This is why at the very, very end, when Jesus is about to ascend into heaven, the disciples ask Him, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They were saying, okay, you've been killed buried, resurrected, you've appeared, eat bread with us, you disappear, you're a spirit, not a spirit. Man, our world is rocked. We're like, okay, we sort of get it, don't get it. <laughs> you know, they're like, what? And so then their question is, because this is the thing all the Jewish people were looking for and still are, is this when you're going to bring us back? And he goes, not for you to know the times or seasons. You need to go into Jerusalem and wait. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Remember all that? Okay, so we have to understand some of this stuff so that we can understand where he's going. And now here's one other thing. Throughout this book in the Greek is a term that is used, and I've got it for you. <clears throat> this is down at the bottom, so you can take some notes on this one just for a second. It's this word that happens to be translated in your Bible in English generically as Jews. So if I say, well, you know, the Jews are doing this and the Jews are doing that and the Jews are doing this, who do you think I'm talking about? <laughs> the Jews? All of them collectively, right? Well, here's the problem. And this is where you have to get into... Um, I have to read people that are a lot smarter than me to help me understand this stuff. It's this Greek word, yeudioi. Okay, in Greek, let me just, instead of saying it in the plural, yeudi. Doesn't that sound like Judean, Judea? Yeudi, Judea, okay? The men from Judea. Okay, <clears throat> here's what's interesting about that. This word, yudioi, used here in John, was also connected highly to a subgroup of Jewish people. It didn't mean just everyone that was from this area of Judea, where, the, where Judah was from, the tribe of Judah, therefore Judea, which includes where? Jerusalem, where the temple was. But there was also a subgroup there, the Udioi, where the people that were in charge, basically the Pharisees and Sadducees that were in charge, and watch this, and all the people that supported them, and these people that were in charge were put there not by God, but by Rome. Okay, let me give you an example of why understanding this is important. Uh, 
Even in our country, we have subgroups of categories, do we not? I'm going to use one. I'm going to use a phrase. I'll just use one word, and then you can just start to imagine whatever it is that comes to your mind when I say it. Yankee. Of course, all of us cowboy fans laugh, you know, but okay, just Yankee, right? So depending on your age, it's going to determine what you think of. Are you thinking of a baseball team? I got some, I got some heads nodding. Uh, are you thinking maybe just uh, New York? What's that? Or a northerner. I'm from Texas. I'm 30 minutes from the house I grew up in. So uh, you could be thinking, you know, yeah, a, a northerner. What does that mean, northerner? Does that mean the New England states? Or does it even track down a little farther? See, the older you get, you could be thinking in terms of uh, Yankee and Confederate. But if you're real young, you're probably thinking baseball team. Do you see the difference in that? If you are culturally disconnected, it's going to determine what... uh, year span or what generation you're talking to. Because if I use the word Yankee and I go back a hundred years, now what do you think I'm talking about? Those blue bellies is who I'm talking about. Right? And it could be either very negative or very positive. For instance, we just had New Year's Eve. Anybody here eat black-eyed peas? Really? Anybody ever hear that you're supposed to eat black-eyed peas at New Year's? Do you know why? It's from the Civil War. Because the uh, Yankee, if you will, northern uh, armies were decimating everything, and they came to the fields of crops of the black-eyed peas, and they said, no, don't bother that. That's trash food. We, We don't do anything but slop pigs with it. So after that, Southerners, Confederate states, started making a habit of eating black-eyed peas at New Year's, hoping that they would still have food in the following year. Because for many of them, that's all they had. You see, a hundred years later, we go, yeah, I don't know, Mama said we got to eat black-eyed peas. I grew up, Mom said, you're eating one spoon of black-eyed peas. And I'm like, I hate black-eyed peas. She would make me eat one spoon of black-eyed peas. Now I love them, Okay. I'm only saying all that to say if we are culturally disconnected, we don't understand what we're talking about. Or watch this, why we do what we do. We just do what we do because mama said that's what we do. But if you don't understand the connection and the time frame and when John is talking, and then in English because it's very difficult, honestly, it is difficult to translate this word and it not get convoluted when you're trying to even stay true to the text. In other words, just word for word as much as you can without, getting, without inserting your thought process because now you're adding to the Word of God and trying to explain what you think you understand. And so I get it that it is difficult, but every time you just see this word throughout the book of John, it's just going to say the Jews 
Many, many times it's this word Yudioi, and what it's referring to is a subgroup of Jewish people, whether they were in Jerusalem and Judea, or they could be out of the country, but watch this, but supportive of what those people are doing and what they stand for. They wanted Rome to stay in charge because that's how they were making money. That's why they said we need to kill him lest we lose the temple and our place. Because they were afraid he was going to start a riot. Rome would come in and do what they ended up doing in 70 AD. So are you starting to see that it's very important to understand where John's coming from and why he's writing it and somehow... Through this study, and this is another reason why I'm using the Scripture's version. They don't have it in. They don't have that word "but" in there. The ESV doesn't have it. Uh, the New American Standard doesn't have it. There's a number of newer versions that don't have that word "but" in there. <clears throat> but the problem is, we're still going to run across this word. Just the Jews. Now let's keep marching through here, because this is where understanding this is going to help you see what John is really saying. So at the beginning it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with Elohim, and the Word was Elohim. <clears throat> In John 17, 17, this is Yeshua's prayer, and He says, Set them apart in your truth. Your Word is truth. So God's Word and Yeshua is what? Truth. It also says in Psalms 119, 160, you might want to jot that down somewhere. It says, The sum of your word is truth, and all your righteous right rulings are forever. So the sum of God's word, the sum of the word of God, the sum of the word, which is what? Yeshua is nothing more than truth in physical form. He lived it out. He is our truth. He is also our light. And it says, And all came to be through Him, and without Him not even one came to be that came to be. So I've got some more verses for you. You might want to jot these down, and I'll read them for you. They're, I don't believe I've got them in your notes anywhere. Ephesians 3.9 Ephesians 3.9. I'm going to read these out of the ESV. Uh, Ephesians 3.9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan and the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Let me go on. Uh, Colossians 1.16. Colossians 1.16. Here it is talking about Yeshua. It says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. Hebrews 1 verse 2. Hebrews 1 2. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. There's a lot of these verses, actually. Hebrews 11.3. 3. 
By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That was Hebrews 11.3. 2 Peter 3, verse 5. 2 Peter 3, 5. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water through and through water by the Word of God. And in Psalm 33, 6, Psalm 33, 6, it says, By the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. Folks, I've said this before. I've said it for years. Yeshua is the creating agent in everything that God created back before everything started. And it was all created by Him and for Him and through Him. Everything. Um, He is the, the literal embodiment of the very Word of God. I've got down here in your notes this word Elohim, which I talked about briefly just a minute ago, which means God. Uh, it's translated as God, but I want you to, you know, you might want to write down there somewhere that this term Elohim is not a name, it's a title. And this word Elohim can also be used uh, to talk about other beings that live in the heavens. That's why in Psalm 82 it says, Elohim stands in the midst of Elohim holding judgment. It's the very same word. And other areas where this word Elohim is talking about angelic, if you will, beings. Um, then you've got um, this next note down here called light. <coughs> and um, it's found in First uh, John 1 verse 5, but I don't have it written out for you. You're going to have to write it down or put down some little note there to help you remember this. But 1 John 1, 5 says, And this is the message which we have heard from Him and announced to you that Elohim is light and in Him is no darkness at all. So God is also light. And if Yeshua is also God, then Yeshua is what? Light. And it says, And in Him there is no darkness at all. So that's what, exactly what it says here in verse 4. It says, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So light is what? Light is the presence of power. Darkness is nothing but the absence of light. Darkness, I don't care how dark it is, darkness in and of itself cannot overpower any light. Y'all have smoke detectors in your house? With the little red light? Or the little green light? Yes, yeah, not supposed to be red. The little green light. You ever lay down to go to sleep? You know, and you can't see anything at all, right? But you just can't go to sleep. And you, all of a sudden, you know, your eyes have adjusted and you, you look up and it's amazing how much light that little bitty, bitty LED light puts out. It's amazing. It's almost like you look over and say, I think I can see green on the carpet. It can be pitch black, but you can look up there and go, I see a green light. 
You see, darkness, I don't care how dark it is or how small the light, darkness can't overcome the light. Light always pierces the darkness. The interesting thing is, but we're talking about God who is light. And He walked among darkness and pierced the darkness. That's powerful. That is why we don't have to fear darkness. Because the very light and life and power of God is within us. Folks, you ever had somebody come into your presence that you could just tell there was a spirit of evil and darkness? When you understand this, you do not have to fear that at all. And you don't have to say, oh, i got to get out of here because there's a spirit of darkness here. We ought to go, I'm going to walk in here and just mess this darkness up. Ah! <laughs> we shouldn't fear it at all. So it says, in this light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from Elohim whose name was Yohanan or John. He's talking about John the Baptist. This one came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. Here again is this little clue where John is saying, look, there was this John the Baptist that came. This is the very beginning. And he says, he's not the light. He came to bear witness about the light for a reason. What was the reason? That all might believe through him. All might believe in Yeshua as the light, the light of God, life eternal. Here's something I want to share with you that's uh, interesting. In John 20, well, that's that verse, John 20, 31. Uh, If you're writing down in your Bible, you might want to put that down there. Um, But it says that he was not the light, but that in verse 8, but that he came to bear witness of the light. Um, Here's what's amazing. I didn't think about this till I was studying for this. And I didn't realize it either until I was reading in um, uh, Eli's book. Because, um, you know, I skimmed past some of these truths. Some of the apostles that, or some of the disciples that were John the Baptist's disciples left John the Baptist and went and followed Yeshua, right? But did you know that all of them didn't? In Acts... We see where Paul and them, they come across, I think it's 20, either 12 or 20 of um, these uh, disciples that were still preaching the repentance of John the Baptist and hadn't received the Holy Spirit yet. Here's what's also fascinating. To this very day, there, are, there is a sect of people that still have, they believe, a connection all the way back to John the Baptist, but they are very anti-Christian. John is making a point here that is interesting. When you understand that, now listen to this. This man, John the Baptist, was sent by God. He came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He wasn't the light, but that he might bear witness of the light. 
He's making a point here because during the time when John is writing this, these people were still running around preaching the repentance of John the Baptist, but not believing in Yeshua as the Messiah. And he's already dealing with this, and there are people on this earth today still connected to this belief system. Believe that or not. Um, Now it's going to talk about in verse 9, actually, Yeshua says, He was the true light, which enlightens every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came to be through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the authority to become the children of Elohim, to those believing in His name. Now then, this gets real interesting right here. If you and I already have, because we have some connection to the Bible, past experience, to the church, and we've got this little word in our head called but. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua. We now no no longer live under the law, but now we live under grace. We no longer live under the Old Testament. Now we live under the New Testament. We're not bound to the old religion. We now have this new religion. If that's our mindset, then listen to how we're going to read this. It says, He was in the world, and the world came to be through Him, and the world didn't know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many received Him to them, He gave the authority to become children of Elohim to those believing in His name. So who do you think He's talking about when He says when He came to His own, and His own didn't receive Him? The Jews. Generically speaking, which means who? In our mindset, who would that be? All of them which is wrong. All of the apostles were Jewish. (laughs) Most of the church at the very beginning, 99.9% of the church at the very, very beginning was nothing but Jewish. Hebrew. Here's what's interesting. Did John write his book with verse numbers and chapter headings? Didn't, did he? So if we're going to read it, we're going to read it in context, which also means that verse 10 is also connected to verse 11, which it's one sentence in front of another sentence. And it's not disjointed. So it, 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 now then read this because it says, He was in the world, and the world came to be through Him, and the world didn't know Him. Is He talking about rocks? I believe he's talking about everything, including the physical realm. Because he just says that the world was created by him and through him. Then it says, and the world didn't know him. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Here's what's absolutely fascinating. That word there for own, it's gender neutral and singular. Um... According to Eli Lazorkenberg, says that uh, this literally can be translated and should be translated if you're going to translate it literal, word for word, what it actually says in the Greek. It would actually say that he came to his own things. 
There were a group of, there was a subgroup of Jewish people that did reject him. But it wasn't all of the Jewish people. It was the Eudioi that we've translated as Jews. And now because we've heard it for technically 2,000 years, but really driven into our heads for the last 400 years, that the Jews rejected Jesus, He offered them the kingdom, He took it away from them, and gave it to the Gentiles, and now He's done with the Jew. That's not what John is saying. What he's saying is that there was a subgroup. Bear with me. for Yankees, <laughs> if you're not culturally connected, you don't even understand what he's saying. He's saying, Yankees rejected Him. Baseball team, New York, or everything north of the Mason-Dixon. Right? And if you don't understand, and you're not connected with who's talking to who about what, then you go, baseball team. See what I'm saying? But you need to understand what John is dealing with. Now, you, those of you that have been sitting on my teaching, you already know this, that when Jesus is confronting the Jews and talking to them about you have a fine way of invalidating the very Word of God by your traditions, we know, and now you know who He's talking to. He's talking to the Eudioi, those of Judea connected to Jerusalem that were supposed to be feeding the flock. Here's what's absolutely fascinating is that uh, Lazorkenberg points out that Jesus is actually intimately connected to the Eudioi because why? He is the king and priest, ruler, reigner from God, from Jerusalem. And he came to his own that didn't receive him and they rejected him. Not the Jewish people as a whole, but this group of people that had a stranglehold on the nation and they were doing it for money. Do you see now where it is critical to understand this section so that as we continue to march through the book of John, it will make sense? And then he's not saying it's Jesus against the Jews. It's Jesus offering the kingdom to the Jews. And you know what? If y'all reject it, I'm going to take it away from you and give it to the Gentiles. It's not what he's saying. And it's also interesting that if John is actually talking to the Samaritans, he's making a point because there were a lot of people there that were still alienated from really their heritage. They knew what it was. But you know what? They were making a living. They were making a living. And, you know, I know all those guys in D.C. are, man, they're like worse than gutter rats. But you know what? We're making a living, so, you know, just go vote and let's just, you know, let's go to the mall and buy something. How many in America feel that way? Right? I don't know. Maybe God's going to need to make it get really bad so we'll get out of here. 
and go home. Um, I read the end of the book. I know it gets bad. Um, <clears throat> but if you understand that that's who he's talking to and he's using this term Udioi, he's trying to get them to understand, listen, this is who he's against. He's bringing the Torah under, under proper understanding and that salvation is found in Him and you better stop being dependent upon Rome or D.C. or the Republican or Democratic Party or whatever to bring you peace and comfort. Because you know what? We are no different than the Jewish people of, this, of that day. We're doing the exact same things. And I believe that God is revealing His truth to us to say, you guys need to come home to me. You need to start living by my word. And there's going to be a lot of people that are going to think you've lost your mind. So be it. We either follow God or we don't. Amen? So it says that uh, He came to His own and his own did not receive him. Meaning basically everything, but more specifically, I believe it's that subgroup. Then it says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the authority to become the children of Elohim to those believing in his name. Hallelujah. Is that not good news? You know what's also amazing here? Did you notice that word? It says, but as many as received him, To them he gave, what's the word? Authority. Can I get a hallelujah from somebody? In other words, he's not saying, okay, look, if you'll just believe I exist, I'm going to do something to you, you know, and you're going to, you know, I don't know, get this warm fuzzy or whatever. He's saying, no. When we receive Him, meaning we confess allegiance to the King, that God became flesh, invaded our world, died on the cross, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us right now, and physically coming back. When we confess that, and we confess allegiance to that, He gave us authority to literally become His very children, co-heirs with that King I just talked about. That's also saying you need to walk in it. You don't need to be sitting back waiting for something to happen, waiting for some outside force to kind of go, you ought to change your mind. It's like you need to read read what it says and go, so you're telling me I have the authority to literally become the very child of God? And in Peter it says you've given me the blessing of literally partaking of your very divine nature, which is the light of God and the life of men that created everything? And that that's in me? Watch this. This is what none of us, I don't believe any of us truly, truly believe this or we would walk differently. That that reality is now Not then. It's now. That power, that authority, that confidence is for you now. 
Not in the by and by, pie in the sky when you get to heaven stuff. Right now, you can walk out in that street. Nothing's going to touch you that God doesn't let happen. You can walk in that authority. Nothing but the light of God beaming out of your pores. And watch the devil and watch the darkness flee from you. You just tell me, it doesn't have to be afraid walking out there in the streets. I'm so glad we've got guys like you keeping us safe. I praise the Lord for you, Nick. Many, many blessings on you, brother. Very, very difficult job you've got to do that and to keep your head straight. I don't know how you guys do it. You see all the darkness all day long. And it's got to be an anointing of God to protect your mind and your heart dealing with all that ugly and all that dark so much. So much. God bless you, brother. We are blessed to have you in here. Blessed to have you. <clears throat> and then look what it says uh, in verse 13. He says, Who were born not of blood, nor the desire of the flesh, nor the desire of man, but of God. What is that saying? What it's saying is, you didn't go after God. God came after you. Woo-hoo-hoo! You didn't go, you know what? I think I'll be a Christian. I've never met anybody that goes, you know what? I think I'll be a Christian and they're really walking in it. It's just another form of religion. You find somebody that's been born of God and God has come and got you and changed you. Y'all can testify, right? There's a difference. It's a change from the inside out. You're like, wow. And now he's saying, now walk in it, be it. Be my kingdom. And then here in verse 14, he says, And the word became flesh and pitched his tent among us, and we saw his esteem or glory as of an only brought forth of the Father, complete in favor and truth. So we know what that's talking about, right? It's talking about the word being Yeshua. And and the New American Standard says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the shepherd, uh, shepherd, the uh, scriptures version uses this term, pitched his tent, because the word is tabernacle. So he came to tabernacle among us, which meant he came to pitch his tent. Before you get too caught up in Sukkot, which I think there is an incredible tie there, but one thing we're missing was. You pitched your tent where you planned on living. In other words, what what God is saying is that when Yeshua came, He wasn't just passing through. Remember what we've been talking about, how that God put us in the garden, and then He said, be fruitful and multiply, till the earth and subdue it. He was, the command was basically turn the earth, the whole thing, into the Garden of Eden and rule and reign over it. And it was a place where God made His abode among His created realm and invited us to be a part of this unbelievable thing called His kingdom and counsel and allow us to be kings and queens on His creation, bearing His image. 
If you don't remember that, then you read this and go, yeah, Jesus came and dwelt among us for a while, you know, and then they killed him and he went back home. He's preparing a place for us there, but, you know, and we're going to, you know, we'll die and we're going to go to heaven. And that's where we're going to be. We miss the fact that it says what? He's going to come back and do what? He's going to create what? A new heaven and a new earth, and he's going to dwell here with us. We'll get a new glorified body. He's going to put us in the garden in a body that won't decay, won't die, won't get sick. Hallelujah. And we're going to reign and rule with Him on a physical earth with physical bodies. Pretty cool. No thorns and thistles. It'll be paradise. Sorry, if you had this picture, you're going to float on a cloud. Not going to happen. <laughs> We're going to be with Him and He's going to create a new heaven and earth and give us these glorified bodies and we're going to be here. I think that's pretty cool. <clears throat> it says here that He pitched His tent among us. We saw His glory. His glory of the only brought forth or begotten of the Father. And then it says complete in favor and truth. They use the word favor instead of grace for a reason. When I use the word grace, what are you usually thinking about? What your child gets when he should get something else. <laughs> right? I, I tell everybody, look right here. This is God's grace and mercy to me. Right there, sitting at that table. Grace and mercy, you know. Grace means God's favor being poured out in your direction. That's what grace means. It means it's ongoing favor of God coming your direction. That's why it says we're saved by grace through faith, and that is not of ourselves so that we don't boast. It is all a gift from God. So He's pouring out His favor towards us, helping us exercise the right kind of faith so that we can confess that Yeshua is the King and get into His kingdom. And none of us can boast... Well, at least I was smart enough to do it. But you other idiots, well, y'all just weren't smart enough. What we should be saying is, my God, why? Why in your holy name would you choose me? Out of 7 billion people on this earth today, me. That's how we should be responding to that. Then look what it says in verse 15. It says, Johanan, Johanan, I mean, bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, He comes after me. He who comes after me has become before me because he was before me. Can you see the depth of what John the Apostle is trying to paint here with the very words of the prophet John the Baptist said about his cousin, Yeshua? He is greater than me because he's coming before me, because he, or coming after me because he was before me. What is he saying? Look, he's coming after me. He was even born after I was born. He's coming after I've started my ministry, but he's greater than me. Why? Because he was before me. When was he before him? Before the very creation of the world. Because he is God in the flesh. And then look what it says. It says, and out of his completeness, 
we all did receive and favor upon favor. Tell me, grace upon grace. Favor upon favor upon favor of God just pouring this out towards us. Then look at what it says. Here it is in verse 17, the pivotal verse here that for at least the last 400 years has slanted the way we understand not only this book, but your whole New Testament and the whole ministry of Yeshua. For the Torah was given through Moshe, Moses. Dash. It's like a pause. The Torah was given through Moses. Favor and truth through Yeshua came through Yeshua, the Messiah. There is no but. It is just two positive facts. That's what he's saying. Just a short list of two positive facts. The Torah came through Moses. Hallelujah. God said, okay, look, we're going to write it down. I've been telling y'all some of this, you know, but now we're going to write it down. Anybody here other than me need it written down? We're going to write it down so that you know this is how you treat everybody. This is how I want you to treat everybody. This is how I want to treat your wife. This is how I want you to treat your husband. This is how I want you to treat your kids. This is how I want, to treat your, how you, I want you to treat your neighbor. This is how I want you to treat your neighbor when you got a problem with your neighbor. This is, what I, this is how I want you to treat your neighbor when you've been a problem to your neighbor. <laughs> this is how I want you to worship me. This is how I don't want you to worship me. This is how you keep my house clean. This is how you keep your house clean. That's the Torah. That's it. So he says the Torah, the teachings and instructions of God came through Moses. Favor upon favor and his truth demonstrated in the flesh, came through Yeshua, the Messiah. There is no if or but. or It's an and. There's just two truths here. <clears throat> trying to make sure I cover all my notes because I'm doing just a little bit different. So when you get to this idea of truth, I think I've already given you these verses though. I did. In Psalm 119, 160, and John 17, 17. Uh, the sum of your word is truth, and all your right, righteous right rulings are forever. So his righteous right rulings would be all of Scripture, basically, and they are in existence for how long? <laughs> forever. And why would that be? Because his word is nothing but truth. Why in the world would we ever call it a beatdown and negative law and done away with and old and decaying and dying and now we got this other new thing? Very simple. Hatred of the Jews. That's where it all started from. Okay. <clears throat> then it ends in verse 18. It says, No one has ever seen Elohim, God, the only brought forth Son who was in the bosom of the Father, He did declare. I triple underlined in my digital Bible here, who was in the bosom of the Father. Present tense. Why would John be saying that? Yeshua has already ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, right? 
He's interceding for us right now. He's saying at the very beginning of this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that Word was none other than Yeshua. And we saw His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. And He came and pitched His tent here because this is now His house. This is also going to be His dwelling place. He's come back to get what was stolen from Him in the great battle. He's concerned about his actual created realm. And he's telling the devil, you ain't getting, I'm going to say it in my old Texan slang, you ain't getting none of it, dude. I made it. It's all mine. And when, when time comes, I'm going to speak you into oblivion where I will not be. And that will torment you for eternity because you used to walk among the fiery stones. You were the head cherubim in charge of worship. And because I created these people and created this realm, you got jealous. You're an idiot. Blew it big time. You see, Satan's mad because God made us in his image and gave us the power to create another imager. Satan doesn't have that power. No angel has that power. None of them have that power of what you and I have. The very ability to procreate another creature, creature literally imprinted with the very DNA of God and by being human, reflecting His glory and who He is. And I firmly believe that when Satan saw that, when he was the big boy, he went, Whoa. They get to do what? Excuse me? Somebody's going to upstage me? I don't think so. And that is why he went after who? Eve. Adam was so dumb, he stood there and watched her do it. Everybody from the very beginning trying to solve a problem we think God has that isn't a problem and doing what He said don't do. we got to stop trying to rewrite the instruction booklet for crying out loud. Here He says that no one has ever seen Elohim, the brought forth Son, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom, who is in the bosom of the Father at this moment, is right there with him. He's the one that declared him. He is the one who has declared who God is. You go back, that you don't have this verse, I don't believe, but in John 17, we will get there. <laughs> it might be eight, nine months from now, but we will get there in John 17, verse 26. I really love John chapter 17. Folks, that is the Lord's Prayer. The other one is a model prayer. It's a pattern. But this is one we have written down for us, word for word, what Yeshua was saying. And in verse 26, He says, And I have made known your name to them, and shall make it known. Future tense. I have made your name known to them, and I'm going to continue doing it. So that, there's a reason for doing it. Why would He do that? 
so that the love which you loved me might be in them and I in them. He is saying, I have made your name known. I have shown them who you truly are for one reason. Folks, we have a tendency to think that God came, died on a cross so that you and I could live forever. Wrong. Eternal life isn't time. Eternal life is a person. The Scriptures tell us that He is eternal life. Yeshua is eternal life. And right here, Yeshua is saying, listen, I made your name known to them, and I'm going to keep making your name known to them so that they can experience the very same love you and I have, Father. The way you love me and the way I love you is I want them to experience that kind of love, that kind of power, that kind of purity, that kind of honesty, that kind of an experience. That's pretty cool. That's the Yeshua that came and died on a cross for you. So that he could be your eternal life. Why? Because he's the word of God. He's the very truth of God. He's the light of God, which is the life of men. And when we come to embrace him, we have it. It's not a length of time. It's with whom. And it is forever. But it's not. Don't we, we have a tendency to boil it down and make it so simple, right? Look. You need to come to Jesus so that you can be forever in heaven. If you don't come to Jesus, you're going to be forever in hell. That's the typical comparison, right? Look, we're going to play just as I am one more time. You know, come on now. I don't care. You need to come on down the aisle. Come on down here. You know, say this simple prayer. Believe that Jesus really is God. You know that the demons believe that Jesus is God. That's the verse that got me saved out of the book of James. You believe that God is one. You do well, but the demons also believe and shudder. So it's not an intellectual agreement with. It's a statement of allegiance to that king. And confession. Devil, demons, you blew it. Because God became flesh. What you hated? What? He became flesh, the very thing you hated? And he died in their place to take away from you the power you thought you had over what you hated. And he's redeemed it back from himself, not even from you. You never had it. It's not yours. It's God's to do with what he wants. And so he said he became flesh and dwelt and died for us so that we could have an experience with him of what he wanted in the garden Forever. Walking in that purity, having all the shame and all the guilt finally removed from our memory. To be able to walk with my God and not see any of that. Wow. That's the cleansing power of our God. And he wants us to be walking with him forever. Walking with him, being with him forever because he is our light, our life, our breath, 
He is everything to us. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Doesn't that sound like the word? I am the way. This is how you walk. I am the truth, which is his word. And I am your life, which is his word. And no man gets to the Father except through me. So the only way to be in God's house is through his Son. And walking with him and him being with us and in us. So that we can what? Experience the same kind of love the Father and the Son have. You have to let that sink in for a second. Do you see a disconnect when so many of us Christians live a so-so, not even survival life, much less the abundant life that Jesus said he came to give us. Why is that happening? Because we don't believe what it says. We don't understand what it says. We don't believe what it says. We're not submissive to what it says. He says, this is my word. This is why I came. And I came that you could have this life. And guess what? Everybody is going to get grafted into God's family. He doesn't have a separate family. And watch this. He doesn't have plan B. It's still plan A. And he said, I'm going to take these people that are just as divided and just as messed up as Americans in 2019. 2019. We're not any different than the people that were there when the time when Jesus died. We're not any different than the people that were there during the times of Noah. We're not any different than we're there during the times of Babel. We're not any different than we were during the times of the Babylonian exile. We are still exactly the same, doing the exact same things they were doing. Across the board. Completely. And God goes, I'm going to take these people that are symptomatic of everybody in the world, and I'm going to do the impossible with these people, and I'm going to use them prophetically to prove to the world that I'm God. I'm also going to take a people out of them that I'm going to call as my own into my kingdom forever, And I'm going to take everybody from the nations that I divided at the Tower of Babel, and I'm going to graft them back into my family. I'm also going to take those 10 tribes that are lost, and I'm going to do the impossible, and I'm going to bring them back. And when I do it, you're not going to need a DNA test. Because he's going to do it supernaturally. And there will be no debate. And I will cause Judah to stop giving Ephraim a hard time about it. And I'm going to cause Ephraim to stop bashing Judah. And I'm going to bring them back as one nation. And I'm going to prove to all of creation that I am God through them. Folks, that's what he's doing. And that God loves you. And John is not painting a picture here of that he came and you know what, the Jews messed up, so he's now doing it through the Gentiles. It's actually just the opposite. He's saying these people that were in it for the money, they were actually in religion for the money. Imagine that. 
They were actually involved in religion for the money and to control people and to also keep people from understanding what the Bible really says. Well, imagine that. Nothing new under the sun. We've been repeating the same old dumb stuff for now 6,000 years. And God goes, they were supposed to be leading my people rightly. They wouldn't do it. I knew they wouldn't do it. I knew I would have to send my own son. So I would have to become flesh and I would have to show them, this is how you're supposed to lead my people. And I will send the king, the creator of the universe, and I'll get him to wash feet and forgive and love and follow my word and tell people, choose you this day, your choice. Either follow me or don't. But this is the path I'm going, and I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and you're not getting into the kingdom by any other way but by Him. That's what He's going to paint for us. Um, Your God loves you so much, so, so very much.